encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. to another episode of the Fergie Fledglings podcast. I'm here with Nathan and Polly once again. And uh, guys, how we doing? Are we um, are we ready to announce the the newest uh, the newest Fergie Fledglings friend of the podcast, Polly? Or yeah, oh, we are. Will Marcus is, has arrived. Uh, congratulations uh, to you and yours. Thank you. Thank you. Gigi. It's been 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 a pretty hectic few weeks um but the little guy the little guy is here and he's healthy and he's a lot of fun he's not in in here right now but he's out with his mom as you can but, hear he is not in here yeah. right now. <laughs> oh he's uh, i mean yeah i don't want to i don't want to say anything too publicly and, and jinx things but he's not such a loud one which oh, is nice cool. yeah well congratulations, congratulations. United games. Yeah. yeah and he uh yeah we caught him Saturday watching watching the match against Bournemouth. Um we, we got like a new little swing thing and he had tilted his head over to look at to watch the TV. My wife was like, we're not supposed to let him watch screens, but she made an exception for this because he bullied her, which was nice. Um and we've we've got one foot in the I mean, we've got like nine toes in the Champions League now. Yeah, uh, just need one point from their final two games. What could possibly go wrong? Hopefully, um, little Marcus never has to experience Thursday night football ever again. Oh, he will. Oh, he will. <laughs> <laughs> but but not for another two years. Um, or actually, you know, maybe maybe a year from now. If well, we, it's gonna we they're making it group. harder for him to experience Thursday night football because England's gonna basically as long as England keeps sending teams to the Champions League final and the Europa League final. And the conference league final and all those competition semifinals, they will stay where they are and they will have a fifth place in the Champions League, which is good because the top six is becoming a top seven. And, and as long as they keep hoarding uh, all of Europe's international broadcasting wealth. Um, you don't you don't suppose the Premier League was the Super League all along, do you? Oh. Man. Mm. Nathan, save your think piece for March of 2021. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, congratulations to Polly and his uh, his wife. Uh, uh, very good news there, and uh, unfortunately, not the most entertaining of matches for Marcus to watch. It was another one where United kind of got an early goal. Uh, Casemiro with a uh, acrobatic swing volley. I don't know exactly what to call it, but um, that part was cool. And then it was another case of, are we going to do this again or what? Uh, for pretty much the rest of the match, but uh, job done. Three points, one point even, away. It wasn't now. even like that. It was like they went up one nil. Luckily, thank God. It was like what? What was this? Like the seventh match in the last like nine, where they were just standing around and you're like poking it with a stick, being like, "Do something." Yeah, uh, they went up one nothing, and then the next eighty-two minutes looked like a team that had nothing to play for playing against the team with a one nothing lead against the team that had nothing to play for. Um, and Bournemouth had like a, they came to life around the half hour mark. Uh, and then right after halftime, 
they got the ball and like it was like the parting of the Red Sea. I, they caught Juan Basaka up upfield and it was like the parting of the Red Sea. Like they just United just gave them the opportunity to just run at them and Bruno made a terrible decision in like trying to cut off the ball instead of staying with his man, which resulted in David Brooks getting a really good shot. And other than that, like Bournemouth didn't really do anything. I think they had like one other shot that they shot right at the hail. Like they were a little unlucky to not get a goal, but because they had a couple of high quality chances, but yeah, nothing happened in this match. Yeah. I was starting to stockpile uh, David Brooks jokes. Um, For those of you who maybe don't know, David Brooks is also the name of uh, New York times. I think former Washington post kind of conservative column writer. Um, So I was making some very niche jokes and then, because, you know, David Brooks was probably Bournemouth's most um, dangerous player at certain points. Uh, like you said, they were kind of taking advantage of the space on the wings that was left by the fullbacks kind of going forward. I think in the first half, he created an opportunity from space left by Luke Shaw when he was further up the pitch. But uh, Gary O'Neill subbed him off pretty early in the second half. And I think from then on, uh, Bournemouth just weren't really threatening at all. Um, Point shaving. Just, yeah. Yeah, it's I, hard to call it point shaving. It's everybody's on the golf course. They're on the beach. All these players are just seeing things out. I, They're halfway to Cancun. Like 15 minutes into the Wolves match, I said to somebody, um, I was like, this just seems like United score between like the 30th and 35th minute, and they win one nothing. And that's pretty much what happened until Garnacho added the second goal. And as soon as they went up, like seven minutes after they were 1-0 up in this one, I was like, yeah, like we're not scoring again, but we don't. But we're taking three points here, and Liverpool didn't win, so they did not win nine in a row. And now we've got two feet. They're one point nine feet in in the Champions League. It'd be a collapse of epic proportion if you fail to get the job done here against an atrocious Chelsea side with nothing to play for. And a Fulham side yeah. with nothing to play for with both uh, games at home. You might get like uh Alexander Mitrovic revenge game performance, but other than that, I can't really think of much on the final day that would be like Fulham supercharged trying to get something out of Old Trafford. I think a really important game is is tomorrow. Because if you go into the Fulham match needing a point and then Tenog goes, Well, I gotta start all my guys, and you're not running out the likes of Sedan Iqbal and um, everybody Fe- eats up Secundo Palestri and the everybody eats game. If you don't get the everybody eats game before you have to have a, a cup final and at least give everybody a chance to rest before the cup final, you got a problem. Cause like these, even the United players, the fact that United players have a, well, uh, that's not true. You, you know, they just don't want to get hurt right now. So like, so they are, yeah, nobody wants to get hurt and miss miss the cup final. Yeah, um, that cup final also uh, kind of sneaking up on us, at least for me, because um, I I don't know if you, about you guys, but May seems to have moved on pretty quickly. Um, I had you a moment. <laughs> I had a moment on Monday where I was like, "Oh, it's the twenty second. I um, had a child. <laughs> yeah, my, my brother in Christ. I also work for another football team. Like I am, I am acutely aware of how quickly the schedule is moving. And not only that, but like United didn't have midweek games this month. Like we had the week off and everything. Oh my god. Uh, 
Is there anything else to really talk about with the Bournemouth game? I, I guess maybe the stat that kind of sticks out to me that is not so fun, um, but also not important at this point, I guess. Um, Brighton had 10 shots, four on target. United had 20 shots, five on target. So it's uh, the efficiency numbers. The game between United and, and Bournemouth. Or Bournemouth, excuse me. I got my uh, my B's mixed up there. Um, so not exactly a I mean, look, the, example of The efficiency. thing about it, the thing about this game and the Wolves game and the West Ham game and the Brighton game and the the upcoming Chelsea and Fulham game is they've all been exactly the same. The same problems have been right on display. Uh, you're, they're not going to get fixed because you don't have the means to fix them. It's still the, you're still working with the same team. So it's just, are you identifying the correct problems with the correct solutions? And are you going to get work, get to work on fixing them in the summer or are you finding the problem, but misidentifying the cause and everything and, and working on and, and going to move in the, for the wrong solution. Yep. So on Thursday we need just do enough FC. So that way on Sunday we can watch everybody eats FC. Uh, I don't know. I think on Thursday I need a, a four nil FC. Hey, four nil FC. This team Ollie, hasn't scored Ollie's four goals gone. in the game all year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Um, it would be nice to beat up on Super Frank um, one last time because we don't know when Whoa. we're going to get this chance again. It might not be until, you know, October when the next round of Premier League firings are. Do I galaxy brand ourselves and say, like, if, if we let Frank get a good result, though, maybe he gets to stay on? <laughs> I, I, I'm Frank Lampard is well connected enough that I'm I'm pretty confident he's going to land on his feet and I'm excited for it. I don't understand. People get so annoyed about this and I'm like, why? Like, isn't it amazing that in a sport where the coach makes a marginal difference, there's a coach that makes a significant negative impact that people keep hiring and it's not your team. I'm thrilled about that. Yes. That, that part of it is exciting. The, um, the whole FC. Man, I don't. I don't even know. I think Jeff Fisher might be too kind of an NFL comp. That's that's. I think that's Lovey recency Smith. bias. Lovey Smith. Yeah, you forget oh, that Jeff oh. Fisher was once a pretty good NFL head coach. Lovey Smith. Uh, that one hurts. He oh, like Lovey Smith went to a Super Bowl. So did Jeff Fisher. So did Jeff Fisher. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that these are too good. <laughs> I think Frank Lampard saying, is like. Oh well, Chip like the Kelly problem. The problem is is survival bias is that bad coaches don't survive josh mcdaniels fc yeah i think josh mcdaniels might be more in line of like kind of like the golden child but Mickey it, Callaway? it's hard because not a lot of like star nfl players really seem to like become head coaches no because it's a different skill set in yeah. terms of coaching and uh, uh, you know, this is this is actually literally a topic that we had at the bar on Sunday. We, we were talking about like how Messi and Ronaldo would just make terrible coaches, and and Wayne Gretzky made a terrible coach. And it's just like when people are that naturally talented, they they it's don't hard for know them to understand. To, <laughs> right? They can't connect. Yeah. They can't connect with merely really good players because it's just like just do this. Like this is what I did, and they're and the like. You have a player that's just like I can't physically do that like i my brain does not read the game the way yours does i'm like there's a reason and and 
some of the most of the best managers in the world were people that didn't quite make it as players. Ferguson, Klopp, Mourinho, um, you know, the the other good ones seem to be like the defensive midfielders. And, you know, the comparison we made was in baseball. A lot of times it's the catchers. It's the guys that have to read the game that know the most about it. And they're the ones that make it into management. Pep's got an icon card for a reason, I guess. Like Solskjaer, like sat on the bench for years. And he's, you know, he would always be, Rooney said this. Rooney was like, when he sat on the bench one day and Solskjaer was like, you got to be watching the defenders the entire game to understand where their weaknesses are so that when you come on with 25 minutes to go, you know exactly where to attack and you know how to make an impact. No, you uh, learn the game from that. To be fair, two top players uh, making it as managers right now. DC United just made it into the power, the uh, top ten of the power rankings under Wayne Rooney for the first time in uh, since 2018, and a real hodgepodge of a roster there too. Um, that almost team akin, stinks. Yeah, almost <laughs> almost akin to his situation at Derby. Um, although he was actually able to make signings, so uh, let's talk about something else now <laughs> before I get too down a rabbit hole of trying we to talk about the N- Jeff NFL Saturday MLS. Jeff Saturday that's the that's my Frank Lampard comp um that's not bad I, yeah that that actually works yeah there we go okay yeah, so speaking of Chelsea and uh Chelsea midfielders uh Mason Mount has has been widely known that uh he's probably going to leave Chelsea this summer, uh, they would like to make a profit on him, not only for their own sake and FFP, uh, but because they will lose him next summer for nothing if they do keep him for another season. So uh, teams obviously interested, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United. Uh, it was reported by David Ornstein this afternoon that uh, Mason Mount's preferred destination is Manchester United. Um I've seen the price quoted somewhere between 50 million to somebody said 80 million at one point that was in euros though. Um, it would be a, a sizable fee you would expect Chelsea to expect, or you would expect Chelsea would want for Mason Mount. Um, how are we feeling on this guy's first impressions? First of all, you spend no more than 40 million on him. You, you have all the leverage here. Chelsea have no leverage. Chelsea need to sell players and a homegrown one will count even more before June 30th in order to basically have any, to be able to do anything um, this summer. And they need to do a lot of things. So Chelsea need to sell very quickly. You have no incentive. If you make a deal before June 30th, like that helps Chelsea. And, you know, there's no incentive to rush into this. Chelsea are up against the clock. So if they give you a price that that you don't like, just don't take it because they have to do something. So eventually that that price will come down because they just need to do anything. If you if you make this deal on June 2nd, you're doing them a favor. You're helping them out. You're being like, hey, you're in this financial predicament. We're gonna throw you a cash to a lifeline. They're your rival. Don't don't be th- don't be helping them out unless you're getting a really good deal. If you think Mason Mount is worth a 50 million pound fee, get it for 40. And if they're like, yeah, we'll sell them to you for 40, then then you could then you could do it because then you're like, all right, we are helping you out, but we're getting a great deal out of this. If you're not getting a great United are so bad that they're going to end up overpaying for him anyway, but that's the the starting thing is 
don't be so eager to help Chelsea out because they are your rival unless you're getting a great deal. If you get a great deal, then we could talk about how does Mason Mount fit in this team and and all the other things that come with, oh, Mason Mount right. is signing. Like, how does that work? But also, like, Mason Mount has leverage in this situation, too, because it, it, Chelsea kind of need him to go. Um, right. And it, it's not like Frankie last season where, you know, he's a good fit for the team and he wants to stay. Um, it's been pretty he's clear a good from, fit for the team. <laughs> For Chelsea, I, it doesn't doesn't seem like they know how to use him this season. I mean, nobody playing... knows how to use him, but they don't know how to use any of their players. Yeah, that, that's kind of the point, though. <laughs> I guess um... they want him to leave. They want him to leave because he's not the exciting player. So, and he is a very useful player, but their fans would be happy to see him go because he's just not that exciting, and he is homegrown from the academy, so he's pure profit from an FFP. That makes it. That makes it. Like you could sign a worse player for sixty million, and fans will be more excited that for that guy than they are for Mason now. Right, Nathan. What were you going to say? Um, everything I said when we were talking last in the podcast about like reasons why I would keep Marcel Sabitzer, just copy and paste that on for Mason Mount, but then it doesn't end with Polly going like. Yeah, but I don't think any price is right because like forty million for a twenty-four-year-old erases the main concerns. I think of like a reason why you might keep Marcel Sabitzer. Yeah, and you would expect maybe Marcel Sabitzer would be a little bit cheaper, but um, the (laughs) the longevity of Mount that you would expect uh, on top of you know what we've already seen him do what we kind of see what his ceiling is as a midfielder, as an attacking midfielder. I mean, he can play multiple different positions. If you're playing FM, he's great because he checks a lot of different boxes and can kind of like add to the chemistry building of your team. He's a job doer. Yeah. Yeah. That's And that's something we do need. That's sort of the, the knock on Mason Mount is he gets hurt by the fact that he's called an attacking midfielder. Because he's not the best attacker. Um, And he's, you know, you wouldn't want him being a ball-dominant player, pulling the strings to create things. He's someone that he scores goals from, he's the, the, the late runner into the box and stuff. He's not a deep pivot midfielder. So... Therefore, you know, if he's in a 4-2-3-1, he's the 10. If he's in a 4-3-3, he's just one of the eights. But he's... So so there's really no way of classifying him other than attacking midfielder, and his attacking mid- numbers are very underwhelming. But he is a job doer, and every team needs that. And that's sort of why wherever he... As Chelsea have always had a revolving door of managers, and in the England squad, every manager has loved it. And... You know, Frank Lampard is sacked and Thomas Tuchel comes in and Thomas Tuchel goes first name on the team sheet, Mason Mount, because they could they do a lot of things. And he is very good off the ball. I just wonder how he fits into a team with Bruno Fernandez, because Bruno Fernandez is sort of that job doer who happens to be a lead attacker. Yeah, the expectation seems like it would be he would come in as somebody to eventually take over and for the role Erickson has, which is going to be a pretty big change from what Mason Mount has been asked to do at Chelsea. Um, 
obviously under Tuchel, he was one of the players who would flank whoever was playing the center forward, um, which meant that he had to do a lot of the kind of final third creating and even goal scoring because they didn't have that significant goal scorer to carry the weight. Um, recently, he's been a little bit all over the place. Um, so like half of his appearances come at kind of a central attacking midfield role and the rest of them come in some sort of midfield role, whether that's to the side of the center or as like a central midfielder. Um, like you were saying, his attacking numbers are actually not that good. And especially compared to uh, just like looking on FB ref earlier compared to attacking oh, I mean, midfielders compared to, and compared wingers, to attacking midfielders. Yeah. His numbers drop off significantly. His attacking numbers aren't good. And like compared and to right, midfielders but, though, his attacking numbers are pretty good. The perception is that he would come in and, and be playing that Erickson role, which would make it the second attacking midfielder we're bringing in to play as this deeper midfielder. And like, is that what United need? And that's the question because they don't really control the ball well right now. And Mason Mount is not going to add to that. And, and I, there's, you know, I think there's just a lot going like United kind of have to decide what they want to be. And don't I don't we all? think, <laughs> I don't think that's crystal clear. Because I think some of the, I think not all the decisions have gone in the same direction. Like, I think when you signed Eric Ten Hag, when you hired Eric Ten Hag, um, you were, uh, you have this idea of, all right, we're, you look at Ten Hag's Ajax teams and you go, this is what we want to become. And he started making some moves to be like, okay, yeah, like you sign this guy, I see that. You sign this guy, I see that. And that's why you wanted Frankie Dion. And they didn't get Frankie Dion. So they went out and signed Casemiro, which sort of goes against everything else that you would be sitting around. You're like, oh, okay, we just got like the big, like the defensive midfield monster, which coincides with, all right, so let's bring in Rafael Veron into the team. Like, like that's a defensive triangle where it's like, we don't need the ball. We're just going to stop you. But in possession, what are you trying to do now? Because like now you have this Casemiro Erickson pivot that, doesn't that gets outmatched in many games. Bruno's there too. Bruno's Bruno now becomes like basically your only creator who you're not going to control the game with those three guys and bringing in Mason Mount isn't going to do that either. Right. You get an upgrade defensively on Can I throw a comp out? Do it. You know who has very similar stats this year? Um according to who scored to Mason Mountain. They play on Manchester United. It's Fred. Yeah. He's just yeah, like I, Brexit Fred. Yeah, I, I I see him more as like an upgrade on Fred and, and getting younger. By six which years, is like, which is helpful. Right. But that's like $55 million for a squad player when like you need to upgrade the actual starter. Well, to be fair, we did pay that much, I think, for Fred, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, about that. Um, so, all right. So maybe, all right. If that's if that's what you know what the, English if that's what the rate is. If that's what the rate <laughs> is, then sure. Are but, you gonna get a zebra kit with Mason Mount's name on the back? <laughs> no. The <laughs> issue is that they still need to upgrade 
the starter. I'm like, this was the whole thing. Like, this was what I said last year when they signed Erickson. Was Erickson on a free needs to be the icing, like needs to be the cherry on top and not the actual meat of the sandwich that we're getting. And we all know that it's going to become the meat of the sandwich. And like yeah. Mason Mount, like to, to upgrade on Fred, who... Do you need to upgrade Fred? Like, here's the issue with Fred. Fred is very good in specific games and not as good in games that don't suit him. And if you cherry, if you use your, uh, if you use your Fred picking correctly, you put him in, in those games and he goes out and does the job for you. He's a job doer. And that's great. The issue is when someone gets hurt and now Fred's the guy that has to step up and you don't have the choice of games. It's just, we need to play Fred. And that's kind of Mason Mount also is, Mason Mount would be very good in certain games. He's not going to be very good in other games. So you you haven't really addressed the fact that like, and, and the games that Mason Mount will be good in are the same games that Fred will be good in. So if you have both of them in your team, like, and someone gets hurt, you're still in that situation of like, who are we playing? Liverpool? Oh, they'll be good in that game. Who are we playing? Um, Southampton? Not as much a game for them. And it just seems like every deal that United make, it's like, yeah, but that's a good player. But are we addressing the needs that we really have? So when it comes to addressing that need and just kind of like thinking about the top midfielders that are available, it just feels a little bit like the striker conversations that we always have of United might have missed the window of bringing one of those guys in. I think Enzo Fernandez going to Chelsea was a big deal for that reason. A lot of people wanted Bruno Guimaraes. There's always, you know, a next guy you can find, but it, it just seems like a lot of those younger guys, maybe Moises Caicedo is an option, but you would expect Brighton, I mean, in January, they wanted somewhere around 80 million and he signed another contract. So there's probably some sort of agreement that if he does leave, it would be for close to that amount. Um, yeah. I'd, it's just like, also, do, like do we really it... want to like settle when it comes to like bringing in someone well, like here's, Mason right, So here's the thing. Here's the thing. One is at the end of the day, like Mason Mount over Fred, like if you upgrade any upgrade there, like if you, even if you upgrade your squad player, upgrading that is an upgrade. But it's not that like we don't, you know, you understand you can't have all stars in every position and certain players need to be upgraded on anyway. It's a matter of like if, you only have X amount of money. Is it worth it to spend it on upgrading that position or should you be, or are there other positions that should be higher priority? Like if Fred were to leave and you got any sort of fee for him, even if it's 10 million, like then signing Mason Mount for 50 million becomes a no brainer. That's a great, that's great. Um, Especially because you've already paid off the Fred money. As you said, Colin, we have to stop thinking about who's available. Everybody's available. It's just because you haven't heard their name in the newspaper or on the Twitter doesn't mean that a player isn't available. What United have to stop doing is shopping in the goddamn Premier League. Everything is more expensive for the same crap. And it gets justified because people, people, uh, no one loves cliches more than British football. And because the media is pretty lazy, they get to repeat the same things all the time. And 
post these articles that are 200 words long and you get to throw things out there like, well, he's Premier League proven. Every single year, teams lower in the table bring in players from outside the league who are not Premier League proven. And within five games, you're like, damn, that player's really good. And they, they have a great season. And it's like, yeah, they could play in the Premier League. So don't be scared to bring in a player who's not Premier League proven. Like there's, yeah, sometimes they don't work out. Sometimes you sign a guy from a Premier League team who doesn't work out for you. It's all the same. But essentially, you're go like you you go to a you're basically going to a Toyota dealer and paying Lexus prices for them. Don't do that. Just go abroad and like it's about networking and contacts and finding people finding the right people. You you find the guy to talk to that you find a midfielder in France or in Spain or in Italy or somewhere where they seem happy with their club, but then all of a sudden Manchester United's interested in you. That's enough to, this is the Real Madrid playbook. They just throw their name out there and then they go, well, now they're, now their heads turn and now they're going to want to come. You're going to tell me that if you, you go to a, a mid table Syria Assad and you go, well, Manchester United want you that that player's not going to call his agent and push for the move. The players that are, quote unquote available are just the ones whose agents keep floating their names out there because they're trying to drum up something. Was that a reference to Sergei Malenkovich Savage? God no. <laughs> <laughs> well he's he's not mid table anymore. They're in second place, I think, after the he also st- he doesn't exist. <laughs> drop off. He doesn't exist. No, he, he's, he's an a, he is an NFT. We're sure. not we're not it's also it's still May. He's a FIFA like, ultimate team player. It's still May. I'm pretty sure you have to wait till July to start getting the Milinkovic Savage rumors. Like I'm pretty sure that's when they turn that machine on. Also, if we haven't signed a midfielder August, yet. But yeah, like I, I, yeah. I like Polly's idea. We need to go duty free shopping a little bit, you know? You you go tr- you travel the world and then when you come back, you go to that special store that doesn't charge you a tax, and then you get to bring that shit into the country. There you go. How much how much better would our midfield be if we had a Tyrell Molossia quality midfielder? It'd be better. Um, is Tyrell Molossia like could Tyrell Molossia be a really good left back? Yeah, he's got potential. So you have a guy with how much money would Tyrell Molossia cost if he came from uh if, if he, he was if, from an English club, if Tyrell Molassia was at Brighton, there would be a there would have been like a fifty million. Well, like let's price let's not throw it. Brighton in there because Brighton are at, at this point we know what. Okay, Aston Villa. Tyrell Molassia were at Fulham. If Say Tyrell Molassia was Fulham, at Crystal Palace, we would have paid sixty million for him. Right. How much did Tottenham yeah, like, play for pay for Sessegnon? Uh, like thirty million, I think. What's going on with that? Was it uh no? Was it Aaron Moore was the yeah, right back? 25-30. Max Aarons. Or Max Aarons, there you go. They had a left back, too, who was decent. Him and, him and Todd Cantwell. <laughs> Where are they at? Yeah. Um, 25 million for Sessegnon. Yeah. Like just go and sign these guys. Like, go and find guys from outside of England. Like, why are not de- you waiting for Brighton to play this guy for two years and then charge you a, a, a 700% uh, upsell. I, I'm hyper fixating on the fullback position now. And I was like, be careful what you wish for Denzel Dumfries. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Serie A player demanding Man United move. Um, what about uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe's French team, uh, Heffron Turam? Yeah, go for him. How much are you going to cost? Well, if he buys Man United, I mean, uh, it would just be like moving some numbers around, right? Basically, but like for all right, but, but like for FFP, like what you what do you have right. to enter in on the spreadsheet so that you know you don't get Juventus? <laughs> probably no. Probably instead, you use Salt, Salzburg to Leipzig, you know. Right, but but like, yeah, like they're also. I mean, Nice Nice are in ninth place, so they could probably use the money. They're not going to be in Europe next year. Right, find a bunch of guys that are like ten to fifteen million and just take a chance and spend two guys that are better that like you could spend 45 50 million on for two guys that you know the united's obsession with like we need to spend 60 to 100 million on a player every season is part of why they're in this hole how many more 100 million pound players do you need in the team because if you swing and miss on them and you will because uh what it there's Ryan O'Hanlon wrote this article last week or something. Last week, he wrote about like why do so many top, like why do so many of the top signings flop? And it was, he took a look at the 15 biggest um, transfer fees that were paid last summer. And I think combined, they've played like 57% of the available domestic minutes. And only two of them have played more than like 70% of the available minutes. And he quoted, a former front office executive from Liverpool who basically said um, there's six reasons a transfer might fail. And he listed the six. And it's like, if you have, if you're 90% sure on all six, that means your transfer has like a 53% chance of working out. So basically every transfer 50, 50. And if you are obsessed with paying for only the most expensive ones, and it doesn't work out. Like, I'm not closing the door on Anthony, but 80 million for Anthony, if he continues to do this, is a disaster. Because it Jaden Sancho right now is a disaster. Jaden Sancho, unless they could sell him, is a disaster. And they might be able to sell him because he's young. But like that's a disaster because it's burning a hole in your pocket and it's preventing you from going out and getting good good players elsewhere. Can I can I make another suggestion of um throwing things at the wall and seeing if they stick? Um, when you say wall, do... are you just throwing them at me? And, and no, 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 no. <laughs> um, to th- throw you know, I, throw topics not, at Polly and get him to talk. <laughs> yeah, why not do something that worked in 2008? Let's let's run it back. You know, Manchester United brought a pair of brothers into uh, the team at the same time. Why not? Why not Kefren and Marcus at the same time? Let's get the Turin brothers at Old Trafford. Yeah. That that might work. I thought you were maybe going towards Jude and Job Bellingham, but um, you know, I mean, that's fine. The that's the more too. the more brothers, the merrier, you know. I mean, do they, I, we'll take a cousin too if it, if it means Jude comes. <laughs> I mean, that's how they recruited the Nevilles, right? Is like they the one they really wanted was Phil, so they're like, yeah, we can take his brother too. The one that they really wanted was Phil. I think that's what they were talking about in early class of 92. Yeah. When they were like youth players, because Phil was, I think he had a growth spurt earlier and he had, he did end up, I think, being taller than Gary. So I think he played midfield and maybe a couple different positions. 
Gary wasn't a right back when he first started out either. So. No. And the funny thing is like Gary ended up at right back because that's back then. That's where you put your worst player. <laughs> it's like, it was like right field in little league. <laughs> like this, this was like a topic like like two weeks ago on Twitter or something like people were talking like United fans were getting really offended by like slander on Gary Neville. And it's like, Gary Neville was a very good right back, but like Gary Neville was not like, he wasn't an all time player. He wasn't this amazing player. Like, was he one of the best right backs at the time? Yes. But like, he wasn't great. He was not the best of like the class nine. He got by because he was a very, very smart player. And he like knew how to defend players and how to, you know, all these little things to make up for his shortcomings, which he used very well. Like, look, you don't get 81 England caps if you're not, if you're not good, but like, let's, let's call a space fader. He wasn't incredible. <laughs> and also we don't want to remember some of his England moments, to be honest. Right. Um. All right. Are we still playing smash or pass on transfers, Colin? Yeah. Why not? All right, yep. so we're going to do a lightning round smash or pass um, <laughs> where we talk about, you know, potential transfers, uh, players who've been linked with Manchester United, um, and we give our take in, uh, what do we want to say, one to two minutes, something like that? Should I cool. set a timer so that we actually do it? Well, yeah, otherwise, otherwise right. we'll be here all day. All right, yeah. uh, so we're going to do two minutes on each player, um, and I will alternate who I start with, I guess. Um, so, Kim Min Jae, who wants to go? Pass. Yeah, I pass on him. <laughs> For all the reasons we talked about on the last podcast. Right, like, I guess we, I, we already talked about it already, so maybe we should go to the next player. Uh, in in a vacuum, he seems like a very fine player, and I think he would be a, a potential upgrade or a good addition to the back line but it is not it we know the budget's finite it is not a position of need in my eyes at this moment yeah unless unless victor lindelof and harry Maguire have already signed sealed delivered deals walking out of old trafford um then yeah why are you doing it yeah because yeah. again let's not forget we've got people coming back yeah all right, next player. Uh, I am actually going to take the lead on this one because I love the idea of this player being a Man United player. Uh, Evan I thought you the moderator. Stop talking about it. You're just Evan Ferguson <laughs> from Brighton has been linked recently. Uh, an odd report suggesting that they are interested in him next summer um, as a player for the future. But uh, I think that they should consider you know expediting that process because uh, he's shown a lot of promise, and it seems like his price is only going to go up. At this point, um, thoughts. Why do you keep doing this, United? He, I think he did just sign a new contract at Brighton, but who cares? Pay Brighton the money. Why do you keep doing this? Like he has shown promise. He is scoring goals. He is 18 years old. If he doesn't work out in the next two years, like you can sell him because he'll be 20. You could still sell him. Uh, you need a striker. You need a striker for plenty of time. Like you want to make this guy, you you want to make someone a United player that like his best moments are going to happen in, in your shirt. And why are you waiting a year? As Colin said, his price will only go higher. It, it makes no sense. 
I, I believe the logic is, or that Ferguson's logic, the reason he signed that contract is because he wants guaranteed first team minutes. Bro, look at who we got. Nobody. <laughs> the striker position is wide open. If United's are spending all the money that Brighton are asking for on you, they don't have money to go out there and sign a Harry Kane or somebody else. It's you, boy. It's you. You will have the opportunity. Maybe Rashford or Martial starts the first few games ahead of you, but you will be playing quickly. Wow. Polly, finish that with two seconds remaining. Nathan, I will give you um I will give you an opportunity to say something quick about Evan Ferguson if you want to. I All think right. we're both um, smash right now. <laughs> I I say smash if we sign him this summer pass. If it's if if we're gonna use the line we're waiting for next summer. Um if it's the three year Jaden Sancho engagement. I don't I don't again. want any part of that. I would like to just quote this uh line from the Sky Sports article i'm reading brighton believe if ferguson continues his trajectory he will turn into a 100 million pound player i yield the rest of my time i'm yeah. off in that right now <laughs> yeah all right damn. next player uh nathan we are going to start with you it is another brighton player who uh a lot of teams are being linked with right now uh alexis McAllister, fresh off a world cup win with argentina Um, I I mean I just I don't think we can afford to put all of our chips in the McAllister basket. Um, in a vacuum, sure, why not? I I am already after my my bid I had on Marcel Sabitzer about how we need bodies in the midfield. Like Alexis McAllister, like far and away exceeds that criteria. Um, I just think he's probably too expensive and. I mean, for all intent and purposes that we're seeing in the in the reports, like he's probably most likely a Liverpool player. Pass. Good player. A lot of money. Yeah. Stop shopping in England. Yeah. Like you I, could find Alexis McAllister elsewhere. Who, who's um, on the Argentina U20 team playing in Alexis McAllister? That might be Scottish <laughs> also. Like, yeah. Don't find that go, go through the SPL, go through the Scottish Premier League, and find the Argentinians. Yeah, um, there's got to be a suspiciously blonde Argentine somewhere playing really or, great Or just find the, find the very Scottish South Americans that are playing in the, in the, South America, in the Scottish Premier League. Yeah, yeah. was there a Scottish it's, it's a, operation it's another case of it's another case of like, does he fill the need that we have? Like we keep linking ourselves with these midfielders who are very good at like getting forward, like making those runs forward, like those the number eights, like box, you know, at the end. Oh, they're good when they're good further forward. They're good making late runs into the box. And it's like, we need someone to take the ball off the damn center backs and move it forward. You know, Casemiro doesn't do that. Bruno's not really good at that. So who's it going to be? We can't keep getting guys that it's like, oh, well, we they're good for when once we already get it forward. And the I, I, I think we keep also getting into this situation where it's like, yeah, we have two guys that are going to run around and be very good defensively that could play as eights in front of Casemiro. But like, you're still expanding that triangle and asking Casemiro to cover a lot of ground. And every single year, every single month that goes by, like Casemiro's ground that he's able to cover is going to shrink. 
a teeny bit, a teeny bit, a teeny bit, and eventually that adds up. We're, yeah. we're in an accelerated window that City was in a couple of years ago where it was like, oh, man, they'd never be able to replace Fernandinho, and then they went and got Rodri, and they haven't missed yeah, a they beat. They did that so a year like, before Fernandinho left. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I mean, they have to be proactive on the Casemiro thing, especially since he's just shown, like, his game has translated really well to the Premier League, but some of the prickly parts of his game are more likely to get him thrown out of a game in the Premier League compared to La Liga. Like, you just need to have a backup plan for when he's going to miss four to six games out of the year just solely based on behavior. Um, yeah, it's also nice to be able... You, you can go out and replace a guy a year before you need to when you don't have other holes to fill in your squad. Like man, the, Kim and Jay thing when, the Kim and Jay thing when people were like... Why can't United have three good center backs? Why can't United have squad depth? And it's like, because they need to fill other holes in the team. Like City could go out there and sign random ass center backs because they don't have other, every year they're sitting on a pile of money going like, well, this is the budget for this season. Who do we spend it on? They go, we don't have holes in the squad. So just spend it on good players. And you could do, United keep, they keep spending money on the same positions, which doesn't help. And then you got to address the other holes in the squad. And I'll tell you what, if you've got a young, uh, good-looking, you know, defensive midfielder that's going to play for a long time, or you're scouting somebody like that, what better person to play behind than Casemiro? Yeah. But I, I replied to Suede's tweet about um, Mason Mount, because he was saying that the biggest problem with Mason Mount is that he's not a clone of Luka Modric. I suggested... Why not sign Luka Modric as a free agent, have Mason Mount be his understudy in a season one sort of Master Apprentice character arc? By the end of it, you got, you know, Mason Mount, who knows all the tricks. He knows the he knows the ninjutsu. He knows the kai, taijutsu. Uh, he, he's ready to, you know, lead the forces in the fifth great ninja war. I, I've got another idea for you. Um, and this is this is inspired by my time uh, playing the horizon series um horizon forbidden west i just recently finished great game what if we just clone modric <laughs> now there, i mean we have that a spoiler for horizon forbidden west no that's a spoiler for the first game like you find out that she's a clone of right. some past human yeah i didn't get to that part <laughs> dude i mean that's the first game i that's on you big dog yeah, it's it's been several years. All right, yeah, uh, next player. Ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next player. Uh, this is a big one, and uh, I, I guess we'll start with Polly, but uh, Neymar. Oh, God. <laughs> right. So yesterday there was the. There We're planning was... on playing in the Champions League in the spring, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a pass. Then it's a pass. We can't but... have players missing games. Yesterday, Lakeep, uh reported that Neymar uh, was being courted. Uh, part of it was Casemiro's influence, I think, was part of the story. So I'm sure that was a nice little tidbit the writer wanted to throw in. But um, wants out of PSG, uh, has a lot of wages. So it would have to be either a transfer or a loan to a club that could afford those wages. Um, my thing is uh, I don't think he should be paid. We should be paying those wages to uh, somebody who has passed it, uh, passed their best and has lingering injury problems as well as potential commitment problems to the club he plays for. Um, stop, stop listening to your older players who just want you to sign all their friends. Yeah. And you're not helping yourself if you 
if you're Especially, trying to shed this reputation, if you're trying to shed this reputation of, oh, we're the club because we're the only ones that are still doing it. And that's why like every player who wants one last payday ends up at our club because all the other well-run clubs are like, nah, you're getting it's older. Like, oh, we're yeah. not going to pay you what, what you would be as if you're only 27 um, when you're 32. If you keep signing these guys, you're not going to shed that reputation. And if you're old, if the older players are keep like, "Hey, my friend wants to get paid too. Come here." Don't listen. All I'm saying, if if Manchester United kowtows to that policy and starts signing players' friends, then they have to be legally obligated to recreate the banana boat picture with uh, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Carmelo Anthony. The best policy this club had was that they only gave one year contracts to players age 30 or over. And that policy ran up until the Jose Mourinho era where they where he convinced the board to break it for Marijuana Fellaini. And ever since then, we've been dishing out contracts to players over the age of 30, and our fans are rooting it, rooting along for it. And it's like, well, because, why, uh, don't you, why don't you go back to the policy? Like, use the policy that worked. Because passion. Um, I think we've passed on all of these except for Evan Ferguson, and it's been unanimous each time. Because, um, again, like the some of these, the whole thing is go and use your scouting network, build a network, find players. Like most of these players are just linked to us because their agents throw their name out there and throw our name out there so that they can use it so they can get a better contract or for whatever, for whatever reason, because it's, and, and because it's now a known formula of United are such a mess that they're not going to deny it. They're not, you know, it's it's out there. It, it works. And United can't deny it because if they start denying their interest in some, and United have openly said, oh, we want to, of course we're interested in 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 this player. We want to be, we want to be monitoring every single player. We want to know about every player going on. It's it, just because your name is out there, is thrown out there, doesn't mean that there isn't, that their name isn't out there, doesn't mean they're not available. And go out there and find those guys. All right. Uh, we're going to do one more then. Because uh, this other, well, there, there's two more we could do. Uh, Adrian Rabio is one of them. But I think that we've already had that discussion. And I Remember the time that in the middle of the season when they said that we were going to do a deal for Adrian Rabio and they reconsidered because of the backlash from the fans? How does that... Yeah, that was in August. How do you... How do you do in a, how do you, how are you going to spin it if that's the line you gave a year ago and then you go out and sign Adrian Rabiot again? Yeah. Yeah. And he's also, I mean, he's the same age as Sabitzer. Oh, he's a year older than Sabitzer. Well, he's a year older now than he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's he's Sabitzer, but we know his mom's name. That's the difference. (laughs) He's a mama's boy, Sabitzer. Um, they even both have a man bun. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying all white people look the same, but. <laughs> all right. The last one we're going to do is Ryan Gravenberg. Um, the player that United supposedly first inquired about in January uh, in the deal that led to Sabitzer being loaned. Uh, Gravenberg has not gotten a lot of playing time at Bayern Munich since he joined from Ajax. And he was also a player who was signed by Julian Nagelsmann, who has since been sacked. So, uh, availability may be a thing here. Uh, Nathan, smash or pass? I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. Um, 
he is really young as far as the the midfielders are concerned that we are talking about being potentially linked to um at 21 played played Nyax with um Ten Hag I mean I I think it makes a lot of sense at the if the price is right uh Byron paid 18 million euros uh with another 5 for him um so it wouldn't take a lot of profit be, on that yeah well and I I just wonder you know, one, is Tuchel still going to be in the Bayern Munich job at the end of the summer? So, like, are we talking about, a, like, a complete refresh over there where, um, you know, you potentially see some leadership changes on top of the coaching staff? Um, and if you've got a team calling you and willing to give you maybe, like, $25 million or something, I, I don't see why that couldn't happen. Smash. Like, yeah, that's, I think it's a smash. It's a smash. Like, he's young. I forgot to say the keywords. Yeah, he's young. <laughs> he's cheap. Uh, look, Tenog knows him, and I know I use that as a knock against your scouting, but like, the whole thing is like, Tenog does know him, and he has played under Tenog. The whole thing is that eventually, the, the reason that Tenog knows him is bad is because eventually it's like, well, he's not going to know players anymore after two or three we'll years. Signing all of but, his friends. <laughs> but this is still like, <laughs> You're still in that in that area of the the you really do need to do your due diligence though in because it's like all right he did move um, they did ask for him in January Byron did not want to give him up but is he not playing at Byron because um, manager preference and it's like oh this is this is bad and it's just it's he's having a tough he want he's gonna want to get out or is he not playing at Byron because the manager's like you're not good enough to play here like he was unable to make the step up from the Eredivisie to the Bundesliga and we've seen that with midfielders before is that they are not always able to make the step up from the Eredivisie to the Premier League so it's it's got to be it's got to be cheap I wouldn't be paying a lot of money for him but like a 21 year old midfielder who does play deeper in that pivot he's not an awkward situation of like trying to drop an attacking midfielder into um into that more of that pivot role, which we seem to love doing with Pogba, Erickson, and maybe even now Mason Mount. So go ahead and do it. Yeah, I, I think it's like you said of that Malassia caliber, caliber kind of player who's got a, a decent floor and a high ceiling, um, who's not going to take a lot to invest in, and it would be a long-term investment that the payout would be when they enter their prime in two, three, four years, you would expect that they're a better player. Um, Gravenberg is closer to that. Even than... if he's like your third or fourth midfielder, if he's your third or fourth midfielder for ten years, that's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, like like if he's a if he's better than Fred and McTominay, that is an upgrade in in midfield, and that is giving. And he's younger than both of them. Yes, and let's let's make it. Yeah, that's the really important part because like that's the argument for a lot of people, and it's like no no no, like you can't spend a lot of money for better than Fred or McTominay. If you're spending a lot of money, you need to be really good. If you're not spending a lot of money and you're just taking a flyer on someone, like better than Fred and McTominay, for a young guy who is cheap, that's acceptable. But if you're going to spend first-team quality-level money, like you got you got to be first-team quality. you got to really make the first team better and not just better by not being Fred and McTominay. <laughs> Sidebar, have we talked yet about how McTominay is very quickly entering the um, the Jesse Lingard zone? In what way? Of the, uh, oh, like how he's still young, but he's not He turns, not he young turns 27 this year, dude. 
Turns yeah. 27 in December. Uh, Ryan Gravenberg club. turned 21 last week. Oh, so he can drink. He, he's ready for he the U.S. tour. Now. Yeah, he's younger than I thought he was. Um, come, to the, I, come to the old, you know, the taverns. Yeah. All right. So we we gave a smash grade for two players, Evan Ferguson Wait. and <laughs> Ryan Gravenberg. Hold on, Colin. I I know you got another name. One more? You got one more. Do you have someone in mind? <laughs> Name drop him. He was, Let's go. He, he, was tw- he was twice on your list. Harry Kane. I've, I feel this is another one kind of like him and Jay. I feel like we've talked about him enough about why we should or shouldn't. But you know what? Um, for argument's sake, depending on the price cap, I think Harry Kane is a smash for me at the right price. What's the right price? Especially if we're bringing Evan Ferguson in next season anyway. Um, I think the right price for Kane would be probably a cap of about, you know, Mason Mount range, 50 to 60. For a, here's the thing. Here's what you're doing. You are betting that Harry Kane, who had his best season of his career at the age of 29, and who has started every Premier League game, something he has never done before, and started all the World Cup games. So who knows what like who knows what kind of rest how much this season took out of him. You're betting that he's going to continue at that pace for the next four years. At a rate that's worthy of 50 million pounds. Well, you're not getting 50 million pounds. Yeah, no, the I think that's the thing, is that you would have to get Harry Kane for probably what 80. I mean, Tottenham are gonna be stingy on this. I think the Tottenham are a club who would rather let him go for free than let him go to a Premier League club that's going to finish should. above them. Yeah, but As but yes, because he'll probably resign with them because because nobody else. I, it, yeah, like look, if you like, I've said this a million times before. If you designed a striker in the lab in a lab to probably fit United Manchester this current Manchester United team best, the answer is Harry Kane. You cannot bet that, or you. I mean, if you do bet that. Um, if you do bet that he's going, you the bet on him is that he's gonna be he's going to maintain this level that he has never hit before for the next four years. Like when people are like, "How could you say he's in decline or that he's past his peak?" It's like, do you like the definition of peak is the highest point, and Kane is literally at the highest point he's ever gotten in his career right this year are you betting that when he's 29 when he's 30 it's going to go higher it's probably not going to go higher it's probably going to go lower and you're paying all that money for that there's there, uh, look I, I just wrote a piece that Colin's going to edit and, and publish shortly that talks about what kind of striker that we need and like Harry Kane fits fits the profile but you you cannot make that bet that's it's it's just, the odds are just against you that when you have limited funds, it's a very, very, it's a foolish bet. And if you're wrong, if you're right, I don't think it transforms the, the team all that much next year. And a year later, you now have an older Kane, an older Casemiro, an older Bruno, an older Ericsson, a lot of players past their prime. And if you're wrong, 
you really just set the club back by about five years. But even if you are right, I mean, what's what's the best case scenario for being right that he is a good investment at 50 million pounds? Is that like Lewandowski well, uh, level production right. or? 50 million pounds is, is a different conversation and an unrealistic one. Yeah. The, the best thing, look, United are underperforming their their expected goals. And you Harry Kane is overperforming his this year by more than he's ever done in his career. So this is the first year he's overperformed by this much. That means it's probably not going to happen again. But even if you even if you just get bring in the striker that fixes that issue that says instead of underperforming by 10 goals, we're going to perform up to our own level. Your 10 goals better. That's still not enough. Like they're expect they're like sixth in expected goals. It's not enough. You need to create more chances. And part of the reason that you're not creating more chances is like Rashford and, and Anthony are not creative wingers. So you can't suddenly expect them to become, oh, put Kane in the middle and they'll be whipping in crosses. Like Anthony can't get a cross off in the Premier League because teams, as soon as he puts the ball on his left foot, teams shut him down. Like he crosses the ball way more in the Europa League than in the Premier League because that's a different level. Rashford has never been a guy that whips in crosses. So like, he's not going to start now. You need, they also don't get the ball to their attackers enough. Like these are the issues. These are the areas that you need to address. If you want the striker to succeed. Like we, we spoke about this last, not last two summers ago. We've spoken about this many times before of like, you keep signing attackers you keep not signing midfielders. Attackers don't get the ball in dangerous positions. They underperform. And then we go, ah, we got to sign a new attacker because these guys aren't doing the job. Sign the, like fix the areas that'll give the attackers a platform to do their job successfully. Yeah, that was more than two minutes. You see what you did, Nathan? Hey, I was just trying to generate content. Also, if we're just like, Looking at mid or uh, forwards that are over like twenty eight years old, you know what's going on, Sebastian Aller. Speaking of guys that ten hog knows, yeah, uh... twice, twice he's played with him twice, and he was really good both times. I don't think Sebastian Aller fits this team, but I again, that's like, what is this team like? Because they're at their best when they play on the counter attack, and it's like, what do you try? You, and Mason Mount would help with that, help them with that. But it's like, what do you do in all those other games where you can't play on the counterattack? Yeah. Or is this team going to always try to be uh, a kind of counterattacking, counterpressing team? We, we should we should probably end the podcast here. We've been going over an hour now. Um, uh, we may put out another episode tomorrow after the Chelsea match. Uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about those games because. As we mentioned oh, earlier in the play. season, yeah, we're kind of late. Uh, we're going to have to talk about the FA Cup coming up at some point, so we'll probably do that next week in a preview episode. Um, but should, yeah, uh, probably give a shout out to uh, another Manchester Derby win over the weekend as well. We should, and also, unfortunately, some news that uh, on a batch yet not so great. Yeah, is going to leave for. Barcelona at the end of her contract this summer. Um, By the way, uh, you know, my day started browsing on FB ref because I was thinking about writing about Anna Batier and um, how much she brings to United. And now uh, after that news, it's all just about what United are losing. Um, And she is like elite tier 
uh, shot creator, goal creating actions kind of player. Um, and United really got to figure something out on at right back next season. Um, whether Jade Riviere works out, um, you know, she was an exciting signing this January. But yeah, like you mentioned, uh, Manchester United women get a last minute winner in the Manchester Derby. They lock up UEFA Champions League football next season, which is really big for their hopes to keep their other players on expiring contracts, namely Alessia Russo, who reportedly is back in contract talks. So, um, you know, maybe a silver lining of the Batier situation being resolved is they can focus on that going forward because uh, she's going to want the bag after her England performances and, you know, assuming she continues that at the World Cup. Yeah, and we're, I mean, we spent so much time talking about how desperately the men's team requires investment. I mean, they have got to really be ready to, to splash some cash to keep the core together um, and continue on the momentum that they built this year. Because uh, if you haven't listened to the newest episode of Righty's House, they were kind of talking about this. And, and Floyd Lloyd Hughes was saying the same thing. Like, they have got to be ready to spend some money. Otherwise, this is just going to be a flash in the pan year as opposed to the foundation of something better. Yeah, and there have been positive signs. I mean, they had a really good transfer window last season. Maya Letizia has worked out awesome uh, as a center back partner for Millie Turner. Hannah Blundell was a Chelsea veteran before she came to United, and she's a really good left back. So there is a core here. They probably need to address midfield because after Jackie Grainan left, um, it's kind of just been Katie Zellum in terms of a pure you know, box-to-box kind of midfielder that they can rely on. Haley Ladd has been pretty good as well, but... Um, they just don't have a lot of reliable creativity in the big games, which is what they're hoping to win now, uh, now that they're in the Champions League and reaching cup finals. So, yeah, good call, Nathan, bringing this up. Uh, I, I I did mean to bring this up at some point, and it slipped my mind uh, going through the endless waves of players who are linked with Manchester United. All, all right. right, so can we end the podcast so I can go play Zelda now? <laughs> yeah. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.